Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Coach Kimberly International, featuring conversations and actionable insights that equip women in STEM to lead in today's BUCA world. Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Jackson. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Miranda Ralston, COO and co-founder of Holonix Leadership and Organization Development Firm in Boston, Massachusetts. Miranda is a relational leader and educator, groundbreaking neuroscience researcher, brain-based executive coach, and passionate leadership psychologist with expertise in consulting across a variety of industries and sectors. Through the application of psychological theory and cutting-edge neuroscience research, her work supports leaders, teams, and organizations to maximize psychological safety, navigate change, and reach high performance. Miranda has spent 10 years as an educator, including six years as a graduate-level professor and program director in a graduate school's organizational and leadership psychology department. She created and directed the neuroscience of leadership area of emphasis and neuroscience of leadership laboratory, both first of their kind in an academic setting and received over $85,000 in research grant awards. In addition to being a leader in the educational sector, she was also formerly the CEO and president of Ralston Directional, a firm that provided horizontal drilling services to major gas and oil industry players across the U.S. For Miranda's full bio, you can check it out in our show notes. So Miranda, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. It's a joy to be here. So I'm going to invite our listeners to kind of take a seat and join us for like a virtual fireside chat. So we get the pleasure of hearing and learning from some of your journey. And I know that we'll have different types of leadership insights to take away from that. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing it. So I'll let you take it away. Great. So uh, when I first started thinking about this, I thought I would share a story that I've actually shared quite a few times with many different people. And it usually has the head shaking in agreement because people can relate to it. I think everybody's had one of these experiences. So I actually started out my career in early childhood education, teaching kindergartners, um, loved the job, loved the children, the sparkle in their eye when they finally got something right, um, when they were learning and engaging and playing and just the joy of working with kids. What happened though, is I had a really difficult uh, leader. She was... um, There were some unkind moments. It was really difficult to work there because we didn't feel safe in terms of at any moment we could get in trouble for something that we didn't even know that was supposed to happen or um, missteps or mistakes could happen. And it was really unsafe to admit those uh, and then try to fix them. So after a few years of feeling unsafe, I actually burnt out. The joy kind of left me for that career. Um, and as much as I loved the kids, I exited uh, early childhood education and I decided what I needed to do was figure out what happened to me 
and help other people never have that experience by working with leaders. So I went back to grad school and I went through an organizational leadership master's program, but I didn't find my answer in terms of what happened to me or um, how to help others in terms of making sure those things don't happen. And then I went into my doctoral degree and I used my dissertation research to study leadership styles, uh, specifically resonant and dissonant leadership styles. Resonant leaders are very relational. Uh, They build relationships with people. They're emotionally intelligent. Um, They're kind, compassionate. They focus on making sure that everybody's doing well, um, celebrate wins with people, those kind of pieces. Dissonant leaders are on the other end of the spectrum. It's the cold, it's harsh, uh, taking credit for others' work. Um, it might be a little bit on the command and control style leadership in terms of comparison. And what I looked at is how those leadership styles impact followers from a psychological safety perspective, but also neurologically. So I looked at uh, what happens psychologically in terms of, do you feel safe speaking up? Do you feel safe taking interpersonal risks, trying new things, learning, growing? Um, Do you feel safe sharing your ideas? And what happened is under the resonant leader, psychological safety went up. So feeling those relationships, that connection makes you feel safer. Under the dissonant leader, that goes down. So there's that commanding control style leadership. It's going to decrease psychological safety. But then I looked at it from the neurological standpoint using EEG. And what happened is the EEG responses were both faster and stronger. So um, essentially what I think was happening is that dissonant leader was evoking a stress response or a threat response, which makes it much harder to be productive and efficient and effective in your work. Um, So I was looking at those pieces and then I continued on and looked at heart rate, galvanic skin response, all of these things. And everything lined up to show that dissonant leadership evokes a threat response in us as followers, uh, along with decreasing psychological safety, which is why we are not nearly as productive. We don't see the innovation coming out of there. Um, We just have a much harder time under a dissonant leader and we burn out faster. So from there, I've been working with uh, leaders to manage their leadership style, to build those relationships, to understand how to take care of themselves so that they can take care of their followers. And it's been such a joyful experience um, getting to work with leaders. And a lot of them just have so much on their plate that taking care of themselves becomes the thing on the back burner that they never get to. Um, And as backwards as it seems, that taking care of self first is the only way you're ever going to be able to take care of everybody else and all the things on your to-do list. So that's some of the big things in my research and my story. But I think we've all had one of those leaders. Um, and what that research and that process really helped me do is understand just how much pressure she was under, things that she had on her plate, and have compassion and empathy for her as well, that she wanted to show up better, I'm sure. And my experience, while painful, is I am so grateful because it brought me here. I have so much running through my head. Um, one is I, I'm such a believer in we can't give away what we don't have. So hearing you talk about, from a research standpoint, we do need to take care of ourselves. And I know for like in a lot of executive leadership programs, they now have a core competency saying develop self and others. So I can see more things coming like full circle, like 
Yes, you do have to begin with you. Even in leadership agility, a space that I play in a good bit, there's self-leadership agility. So I'm curious, when you recognized I'm not in the place where I'd like to be and the burnout, in some of your research, do you have some tips for listeners around buffering against burnout? So it all comes back to taking care of self. We get stuck in these sacrifice syndrome cycles where we have so much on our to-do list that we just keep going and the to-do list keeps getting longer. We check something off and three things get added to it. And that adds to the stress. It adds to the burnout. And when we think about taking care of ourselves and we think about things that bring us joy, that activate our parasympathetic nervous system to kind of counterbalance that stress cycle, it just falls to the wayside because we think it's not as important. But the thing is, is if we take the time to go through those renewal cycles and activating our parasympathetic nervous system, it can be something as simple as taking a walk in nature. Nature has been shown in research to literally change the way that your brain functions. Now that means at least turning the notifications on your phone off so that they don't activate that stress cycle. But doing something as simple as taking a walk, uh, spending some time with somebody that you love, uh, petting a pet, so obviously not a fish, but like petting your dog or your cat, spending some time doing that, activates your parasympathetic nervous system and activates that renewal cycle that allows us to actually come back into that to-do list and all of the things we need to get done with a fresher head we're more focused, we're able to solve problems, Um, we're able to be more creative and responsive rather than reactive. So the big thing is, is don't forget about taking care of yourself. Find the things that you truly love, that bring you joy, that bring you renewal, and make time for those. Because as much as it seems like it's adding to your to-do list or it's knocking other things down, it's actually going to make you more productive and effective in the long run. I absolutely agree. I have leaders that will ask, they'll say things like, I know I have several people on my team who are suffering from anxiety or depression or burnout, and and they're all closely linked, right? And they'll say, what can I do for them that doesn't violate some HR policies? Like that always comes into it, right? But I'm also seeing some very progressive companies who really value their employees as humans, not just an asset that produces, but as humans and really bringing well-being to the forefront. We were talking a little bit prior to going on air about that. Do you see like a trend, a wave coming? And do you feel like any of it is linked to... The pandemic and people doing some reflective thinking. (laughs) Yeah, that's we've been doing some a little bit of research on the uh, great resignation and what's going on in terms of that. But a lot of what we're seeing is potentially there's some pieces around that where everybody had to stay home, so they were able to focus on themselves and their families a little bit. But also, we were facing potential in our mortality a little bit of what is truly important to us. What do we want to focus on? Where are we wasting our time? Because we only get so much of it and we need to find as much joy as we can, right? 
So there's those pieces around taking care of self and the shift away from only a person as a worker and a person as a whole person, which is something that we've been advocating for in OD for a long time, understanding that your workers are whole people and we want them to bring their whole selves to work, all of those roles that they have and all the things in their backpack, because whole people are much better than the truncated version of what you think a worker is and fitting into that role. We want them to bring all of themselves there so that they feel safe and comfortable because that means they're going to be more creative. They're going to be more productive. They're going to be more loyal. Um, so those pieces are all, co- all coming into that. But I do see that shift over. And I think a lot of companies are having to shift along with that to allow for the whole person to come to work, to allow for some days off. They need some space and time. Um, making sure that they're not overpiling plates because it is having an impact on their mental health as well. So we've, we're kind of flipping the script in terms of what it means to be productive humans in, in our lives, right? Um, so I see quite a few shifts coming for not just workers, but also for leaders in terms of what they're expecting uh, people to show up like at work. So what would you say, going back to the the team leader who's noticing some things in their people and wondering what can they do about it? So some of the things they can do, that resonant leadership piece is all about building relationships and having the relationship with the follower that you can have a dialogue and say, is there something that I can do to help? Is there anything going on that um, I should know about so that I can help you? Um, because we all are very complicated human beings. We all have lots going on in our lives. And it could be something as um, like our my, my child's really sick this week and it's just weighing on me. I have not been able to sleep all week and I'm really tired. So being able to provide some support around that just for that week is really helpful, but it also shows that they're cared for and they're going to go above and beyond when they come back, when they bounce back from that. So it's about building those relationships, understanding the whole person, what they have going on so that you can support. You know, I'm smiling, even though listeners can't see that. But this week, (laughs) graciously, one of the coaches that works with me um, at CKI, she, we were on Zoom and she said, Kimberly, you look tired. And she felt comfortable where she could even say it, right? She's like, because you have that relationship. Yes. And, and she followed it up with what I felt was just beautiful because I didn't feel like my privacy in any way was being invaded. Not that I'm a real private person, but some, you know, some people are, she followed it up with, is there anything I could take off your plate? And that like lifted a weight for me. Um, and and then I told her, I said, well, we just got a puppy and we're oh. up every three hours taking him out. So no, I haven't slept and, you know, I'm tired yeah. and um, he's only nine and a half weeks and 24 pounds and just a bundle of energy. Uh, but it was wonderful to have someone notice. So I know in a lot of companies for EHS, they have the see something, say something, right? Yeah very common campaign, but to be able to see what was going on in me or, you know, or in your um, direct reports or your colleagues, and then to be able to say something, but what really penetrated was following it up with something that was 
an action, you know, and is there anything I can take off your plate? That's huge. Even if there's not something they can take off your plate, just knowing that somebody cares and is willing to help changes the whole game. Yeah. Well, I'd like to circle back to what you were talking about around speaking up and collaboration and innovation and how all of that connects to psychological safety. I know I really enjoyed taking the, um, fearless organization scan training. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that and how you connected and you're doing work with part of what Dr. Amy Edmondson does. And I love Amy. However, Amy doesn't completely own the space. She's very generous and she brings other practitioners in and I'm blessed to be able to be one. But I'd love for our listeners to hear a little bit about that because right now innovation and collaboration are not are going way beyond the buzzwords. Yeah. Like it's really it's hitting like your performance appraisal and can we see that you're collaborating? Can we see that you're innovating? So anything you'd like to share on that? Yeah. So where I got started with psychological safety was actually in that process of designing my research. So I've been looking at it for quite a while. Um, but when the opportunity came up and Amy started the Fearless Organization and then the Fearless Organization scan, I jumped on the opportunity to become a train the trainer in that program and start working with it because it is such a vital piece. We need all the voices in the room. We need to have everybody feel safe sharing their ideas because uh, everybody's bringing diverse perspectives no matter what their background is, they have a different lens on everything that we are working on. And we need to share those visions and the different perspectives. And the worries is a big thing we need to bring out because oftentimes those that share their worries are the negative Nancy or they're kind of shut down in those ways, but the worries are there to correct. It's to make sure things are fixed before it gets too far down the line. It's, um, saying we're going down the train tracks, but the train tracks are broken up ahead. Let's pause and just make sure that we can fix this first. So we need to make sure that everybody feels safe enough to do that. Uh, And it's such a joy to use the fearless organization scan in that way, because what we hear from leaders and the teams that we're working with is these are conversations we never get to have. We would have never had this conversation had we not gone through this process. And that's such a gift. Because they're right. We don't sit down and talk about the things that hold us back from speaking up or the things that we worry about when we have to take a risk. Uh, And by talking about those, we can also mitigate some of that and um, maybe even bring down some of the worry. Because if we're worried about feeling stupid in that moment, if we share our idea, our coworkers can be like, no, I want to hear those ideas. There is no dumb idea. And make us feel a little more comfortable to share those. So it's wonderful for bringing up dialogues that they just don't get to have and then building out some action plans on what they want to work on and then continuing that work. So it's fantastic. I'm sure you get a similar question that that I get around, what's the difference between psychological safety, like a culture of feeling safe and trust, building a culture of trust? Because they are two distinct things, 
but how would you explain that to a leader and how one supports the other? Yeah. So the way that I see trust is it's like the one-to-one. I trust that my leader is going to support me, or I trust that this one person that I have a relationship with is going to uh, share what, or not share what I ask them not to share, things like that. Um, The way that I see psychological safety is it's usually, it can be an individual level concept one-to-one, but it's also typically a group or a team construct. So it's in that group psychology of, I feel safe in this team to speak up and share my ideas that I'm not going to be criticized or judged harshly. So it's also about, um, I think they go hand in hand, to be honest, and there's got to be some relational aspects on both sides. Um, the trust is a trust that in the future also they're going to be there and psychological safety can be impacted at any given moment. It can be broken very quickly too. So the group level construct of one person in that group, if their behavior creates an environment of somebody not feeling psychological safety, then that person is not going to speak up and it's become broken very quickly for the group because that group's missing that voice. So I just see them in a little different way, but I think there's definitely a connection. You need to have those relationships in both. You need to have trust to have psychological safety too, because you're trusting in the team, not going to smack you down or not going to shut you down. So can we bring that back to where we started, where the leader that you were working with, when you were um, in the elementary school, in hindsight, with all that you have learned, because you know much, if you were to be coaching that leader now because an employee raised an issue, what would you be saying to that leader that could have possibly had an impact to where maybe you would have stayed? I think it's going to, it would be a process, right? Because there's a lot yes. to unpack. Yes, so. I know. I'm putting you on the spot. This is speed coaching to the, to the leader, you know, ghost of your past. But yeah. um, I think it'd be interesting. Like, what would we say, you know, if, if that was there'd raised, we're trying to help that leader. Yeah. There'd be a lot of questions just around, asking for how their days went, just to dig in, to see what their perspective around that was, but also understanding what their internal story is and the internal things that are coming up for them because their emotions are contagious. We know that through neuroscience. Any emotion that I feel is going to be felt by those around me. It's why when we walk in a room, if somebody walks in angry, we can feel it. We can tighten up in our chest but also understanding their emotional reactions and what's going on in them so that they can understanding where they're reacting rather than responding and what they need to do to kind of bring those down for themselves. Um, A lot of the times we're managing things as leaders that are really hard that nobody else can see. So when something difficult comes at us or something that just, it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back, we can react really quickly. But if we're paying attention and we can notice those emotional reactions within ourselves and feel our chest tightening, we can feel those emotions coming up. We can say, I need a minute and 
this isn't about you. I really appreciate you raising this with me. I really appreciate you bringing this to me. I need a minute to kind of regroup, to get my head wrapped around this. Can we talk again in a half hour or can we uh, talk again tomorrow? Just to allow them to have that time to process. And that's a mm-hmm. gift to themselves and it's a gift to their followers. So really, I think a lot of that is helping them understand their own reactions, their triggers, where it's coming from, how they can notice it rising in themselves before it becomes a problem and the way that they can kind of come down from that before they react and so that they can respond. This reminds me of um, Shirzad's work in positive intelligence with the saboteurs. Are you familiar yeah. with that? I yeah. figured you would be. Um, because it brings in so many, you know, positive psychology, the neuroscience. When we talk about there is a space between the stimulus and when we respond. And um, I mean, I, Victor Frankel helped us, right? Realize mm-hmm. that we have that space between stimulus and response and we can choose. One of the best pieces of advice I got from a professor um, when I was studying, because I did elementary education and child psychology, <laughs> and I was I didn't want to interrupt your story, but I was smiling because I thought I left for a very different reason. I loved the kids, wanted to adopt all of them. I could not handle the parents and some of the, the system, you know, yeah. and just what was possible and not possible. But one of my professors said to me, you can never control how you feel. You can always control what you do with those emotions. Yes. And that has been like a motto to live by for me. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, so true. Well, I have just like so enjoyed. <laughs> I do have two uh, questions that I kind of always like wrap up with. And so um, I know a lot of our listeners, especially the emerging leaders, are always curious about mentorship or coaching and how would one utilize um, male allyship, right? So I'd, I'd love to just get your take on that topic and if you'd have any practical advice um, for yeah. someone looking for growth and support. Yeah, of course. So I always say that life isn't meant to be navigated alone. So we all need those relationships. We need mentors, we need allies, we need partners and uh, all we do. So I think females obviously need some male, either mentors or allies in order to be successful. Honestly, I have never had a male uh, mentor myself. They've always been women, Um, but I have had male allies. Um, When finding a mentor in general, some of the things that I've noticed is it's about actively engaging in a relationship with the person that you're trying to build a mentoring relationship with. It might be coffee chats. Um, It could just be informal things to start and then with those that I've mentored myself, it either the person outright asked, hey, will you mentor me? I'm trying to get to where you are, or I want to take a similar path to what you've been doing uh, and could really use their help. Or it just naturally flowed into being a mentor thing. But I think the relationship piece is core to building that care and relationship to go forward with that mentorship. For the male ally piece, um, again, I always talk about building relationships, but it's also about leveraging those relationships. So as you are building those relationships, it's also 
about that mutual respect and care that comes from a relationship. So if as women, we can leverage our male allies when we are being overlooked or uh, hurt in some form or another in terms of our social credibility or something along those lines, it might be invisible to our male allies at the moment. And it's not because they don't care. It's not because they're not paying attention and things like that. It might just be they have all things on their plate and there's all kinds of stimulus coming at us at all moments. So they just might not notice it in that moment. But by leveraging that relationship and having open, honest dialogues of this is what's been going on. This is the impact on me. And this is how I'm feeling. Would you mind being my ally and my supporter in X meeting? Um, I had one ally that we, I had that exact conversation with, and then we had a gesture that only he knew about. And if I did that, he knew set up and he paid attention to what was going on. And he either amplified what I was saying or provided support in some way to make sure that I was heard because that was what I was struggling with was being heard. So there's ways that you can leverage those relationships in order to garner the support you need to be successful. Oh, I like that. And especially the hand gesture. You know, because that's something very specific. I find that men really do want to support their female, you know, peer group. Um, You know, and this in being heard is something that's quite common. But to give them something very specific about, you know, in this meeting, I've struggled to be heard. And so if I'm making a point and you see me do this, that's when I really need you know, you just step in and amplify my voice or kind of clear some space for me so I can be heard. I really like that. That's a really, really good tip. He did it in a really nice way. Like, I like what Miranda is saying and then said it again to amplify. So it wasn't taken as his idea. It was, yes, I'm supporting Miranda's idea and making sure that everybody hears it, which was, oh, that's wonderful. I hope a lot of people out there <laughs> utilize that one because I know I, I do know a lot of the male execs that I work with would probably really appreciate that because yes. that told them specifically, here's what I could do. Yeah, and um, exactly. Yeah. Well, so I always like to close in asking, what are you currently reading? So I am always currently reading at least three books. Sometimes they're on Audible, sometimes they're paperback. Uh, but I always have one that's professional development, one that's individual, I, my own development, and one that's relationship-based development. The personal development or more professional development, I guess, is The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur by Christine Kane. I have actually read this a couple of times. It is all tabbed out and I have a journal that goes along with it. Every time I read it, I gather more from it. Um, right on the cover, it says it's an unconventional success plan for highly creative, secretly sensitive, and wildly ambitious. Um, so it's for those of us who are entrepreneurs and leaders that don't fit the mold and feel like we're doing everything differently, and that is okay. Um, so it's a really great book for that. The other two I'm reading, the one for personal development, is called It Didn't Start With You. And this is goes into some of like your family history and triggers and how that is actually passed down generationally. So some of your own triggers may not actually be yours. They may have come from past history, family stories, and just helps uncover some of those for you um, by thinking about what those are, gathering the stories from your family and bringing it into the forefront is what 
and it's all about for triggers so that you can build that time like we were talking about between stimulus and response so that we can respond rather than react. And the third one, um, this one's a relationship-based one and it's called Dial Down the Drama. It's for moms of teenage girls um, because we know how the roller coaster can be one moment they're happy, lovely, and so joyous and funny. The next moment uh, they are grumpy and you think that they hate you. Um, but it helps you understand how those emotional roller coasters happen, how they know exactly how to trigger you because they've been with you since birth and how you mm-hmm. can be their anchor in all of those moments rather than reacting, you can respond, be the steady piece of ground and continue that relationship. And although I am only about three quarters of the way through, it has been fantastic um, in terms of just dialing down the drama in my household too. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I have not read the, it didn't start with you. I'm definitely going to be yeah, picking that up. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you might also like The Body Keeps the Score. That's another really good one if you haven't read that. Oh, The Body Keeps, no, I haven't. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. Now, could you state the three categories that you choose? Because I love that you have like a intentional reading plan yeah. when you, you're selecting yeah. books. Yeah, I do something for personal development, uh, just something I want to work on, whether it be like identifying different triggers or things that are going on within me, um, identifying my own story, things like that. I have one for professional development going at all times. So leadership, uh, entrepreneurship, business, anything like that. And then one for relationships. So building relationships with colleagues, my husband, my daughter, my family. Uh, all relationship-based. So any kind of book like that. Another great relationship book that I loved was um, The Four Noble Truths of Love. And it's just helps with any kind of relationship and bringing uh, about positive relationships that kind of helped me realize where I was messing up in some ways uh, and how to do better. (laughs) Well, I really like that because I'm all about being strategic and intentional. And I love how you broke that down. And so, again, thank you, Miranda, for sharing your leadership insights and for generously giving of your time to pour into other women in leadership in STEM fields. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a good time. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of the She's Up Leadership Podcast. As always, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can subscribe to She's Up on Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, Alexa, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host and executive producer, Dr. Kimberly Jackson, founder and principal of Coach Kimberly International. Special thanks to our marketing manager, Sandy Lomas, and to audio engineer, Joseph Keenan, with Short Stack Studios in New York. We invite you to join us in our commitment to advancing women in leadership in STEM fields. To learn more about the She's Up movement, visit us at coachkimberly.com.